Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to read verse 6 together and go to the Lord. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Father, we ask your blessings upon your word as we allow it to challenge us today, as we allow it to encourage us today, that your word would go forth with great power, would speak to each and every heart. Father, if there's anyone here today that does not know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, God, may today they see your great love for their souls, and may they today desire to have the wonderful gift of eternal life that you offer through Jesus Christ, and trust you to keep that promise. God, I pray that you would bless every aspect of this message, and we'll thank and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to look at the names that are given to our Savior here in this passage. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, but then it gives us a list of wonderful names that we can look at today, and that's what we're going to do, is just kind of look at each name that is given to the Savior. The first one is, of course, the word wonderful. In, in uh, the actual Hebrew name of that, it is, this is going to actually, some of you who can remember the 80s and 90s and early 2000s and liked soccer at all, will get a kick out of this name, Pele. That's the closest understanding of the way to pronounce that name that I could give for you. And uh, how many of you know who Pele is? Wonderful was his name, I guess. Okay, one time, the only soccer person in the whole planet that anybody could have named would have been a guy named Pele down in Brazil. And uh, now soccer has kind of made its way around the globe, and it's more popular than it was back then. But back then, people were like, what's soccer? And it was just kind of breaking into uh, the United States. Well, Pele was, but we don't want to talk to you about Pele. I want to introduce you to someone who is far more wonderful than Pele. That word means wonderful, but is also translated in the scripture as miracle. It is incredible. It's phenomenal. And there are at least three ways in which the Savior is wonderful to you and I. One of the miraculous things about our Savior, and you will never, I mean, you 2,000 years of, of people who have far greater minds than your pastor cannot bring this one to an understandable conclusion. But it is the idea that the God of heaven took upon himself the form of man. The incarnation in which Christ was born to man. And we cannot comprehend this. It's, it's beyond our ability to put this into into an understandable state. There was never a time in which Jesus Christ ceased to be God. And yet, he veiled his Godhead in flesh so that while he never ceased to be God, there was a time in which he did not know everything. I can prove that to you. The book of Luke says that he grew in wisdom and in stature. The, the, the God of heaven, somehow in this miracle of the incarnation, loved you and I so much that he, he 
took off the mantle, so to speak, of all of his Godhead and took upon himself the form of human flesh. And for a time, lay aside many of his godly attributes. We can't comprehend it, folks. We're not going to be able to. Uh, this is an age-old dispute. Jesus was never, never ceased to be God, right? But he also was 100% man. So here's the question. Could Jesus sin? Well, he's 100% God. Can God sin? No. He's 100% man. Can man sin? Could Jesus sin? You're, never gonna fight. you're not going to solve this problem. You're not. You're not going to fix it. You're, not, you're just going to have to accept something. The Bible says that those who come to him must come to him in faith. We must believe that he is, right? For without faith, it is impossible to please God. And there are some things in the scripture that you and I are not going to be able to understand. We simply must accept by faith. And the idea that Jesus Christ became man is beyond our ability to comprehend. So that literally the Bible says that he grew weary. He got tired. He had to stop and rest. Now, the God of heaven never slumbers nor sleeps. But the Jesus, man, had to sleep. Jesus, the Bible says in, John, or in uh, Matthew chapter 4, that he grew and hungered, that he was hungry. The God of heaven has no need of any of those things. But the Jesus that we know, he was a human being, and he got hungry, and he got tired. I am amazed at this teenager. Think this one through for a moment. Do you realize that Jesus Christ was at one time a teenager going through puberty? With all of the things that go with it. Because he was 100% man at the same time of being 100% God. This is a wonder and amazement. This is a miraculous thing. When we talk about Jesus Christ, we are not talking about just anybody. When we talk about Jesus Christ as our Savior, it is not like he is the one that died, but somebody else could have. No. He is wonderful. He is a miracle. So that down from his glory... As that song says, right? Ever living story. He became man for us that we then might through him be made the righteousness of God in him. In Philippians chapter 2, it tells us that he took upon himself as a servant the form of a human being, of a man. And then became obedient even to the death of the cross. So this is a miracle, the miracle of the incarnation. Then there's the miracle of his death. Now, wait a minute. I want you to think this through. This is hard for us to grasp the whole thing. Can God die? No. Did Jesus die? Yes. You're never going to be able to comprehend. All. And by the way, I hope that that's a comfort to you. You do not want a God that you can comprehend. You know that, right? If you could comprehend God, the only thing that you and I can comprehend are things that are equal to us 
or things that are beneath us. Things that are above us, we cannot comprehend. That's why your pastor is totally out of the water when it comes to astrophysics. It's beyond me. I can't comprehend it. But for you and I to have a God that we could comprehend, that would be bad. That means God is, at best, our equal. And at worst, he's beneath us. There's a lot about this God we don't know. A lot. This is just some of those things. So he is, not only is it a miracle of his incarnation, but the very fact that Jesus Christ died is a miracle and a wonder in and of itself. Now, did we kill Jesus? Yes and no. I can prove that to you from the scripture. The Bible literally says on two different occasions, one way it says that he laid down his life for us, right? We didn't kill him, he laid his life down. But in Acts chapter 2, when Peter is talking to the, uh, to the Jews and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he said, this Jesus whom ye killed. So yes and no. Did we kill Jesus? Yes. Did we kill Jesus? No. I mean, the real truth is we didn't because he could have called a legion of angels and the father would have set him free. He says so. Whenever the, the disciples are all upset because they, he says to them, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to die. And the disciples said, no, let it not be so. And, and Jesus said, do you not understand that I could call a legion of angels and my father, which is in heaven, would set me free from this. This is my choice. I'm walking to my own death because you need for me to die. You need the miracle of what my death will bring. But we go on in this statement of that he is wonderful. He is a miraculous savior in that he was a human being and God. In that he lived and died for our benefit. And then it goes on for, this is more of an Easter concept, right? But if Jesus Christ had merely died, the apostle Paul said, we of all men would be without hope. The only thing that gives us hope, the assurance, the certainty that Christ's death was wonderful, was a miracle, is that three days later, the stone was rolled away and a living Savior walked out of the, of the tomb, never to die again. He defeated death. The Savior that we come to celebrate this time of year is a wonderful Savior. And everything about him is wonderful. We throw around the name of Jesus. I, I wish sometimes that we were much more like the Old Testament scribes. You know, the Old Testament scribes, when back then they didn't have copy machines, you know, and printers. And so if the Bible was going to be copied, it was done by hand. And the Old Testament scribe would come to the name, to one of the names of God, and before he wrote the name, he would stop. He would wash himself. He would pray. And then he would go back, pick up his pen, and dare write the name of God. And we throw the name of Jesus around as a curse word. Shame on our society. Because he is a wonderful Savior. He is worthy of our worship. 
because he is a wonderful Savior in every aspect. But he is also not just a wonderful, but his name should be called Counselor, the Bible says. Now, what is a counselor? Don't make this hard. What's a counselor? Somebody who counsels. Somebody gives you advice. That's what a counselor is. He is our guide. The Bible calls him in other places, John chapter 10, Psalm 23, our shepherd. This is what he does. He's the one that's guiding us along. He is wonderful, and it's a miraculous thing. And he is our counselor. This is why it's so important in Hebrews chapter 13, where the Bible promises us this. He will never leave us, nor forsake us. Aren't you glad that your counselor is with you every moment of every... How many of you ran across at least one time this last week in which you needed some counsel? Yeah. You get the idea. What am I supposed to do with this situation? Aren't you glad that the counselor that we have, that loves us so much that he took upon himself the form of flesh, that loves us so much that he died for our sin, that loves us so much that his resurrection is proof that his death was adequate to pay for our sin, and now that, count, that lover of our soul counsels us. Because he loves us so much. It is an amazing thing to me how difficult it is for us as human beings to trust his counsel. I'm not making this up. I spend more time in counseling trying to persuade Christians to trust the counsel than I do trying to figure out what counsel to give. Most of the counsel is pretty easy to do. It's just that for whatever reason, we struggle to trust the counselor. Now remember, this counselor of ours is the wonderful of the word before. He's the one that loved us so much that he lay aside his robes of splendor to take upon himself the robe of humanity. And can we think honestly that someone who loves us so much is now all of a sudden going to guide us in the wrong way? He loves us so much that he suffered and bled and died for us, but we can't trust him to choose what we ought to do to make money in our life or who we ought to marry or how we ought to handle a, cer a certain problem we're going through. If this God loves us so much, I think we can trust him as our great counselor. And not only is he our counselor, but there's another way in which this word counselor is used. If I were to use the word counselor as a title, how do we use the word counselor as a title in our day and age? In what setting would you hear the word counselor being used as a title? Not, it's not your, you know, you know, I may be your counselor as your pastor, but no one ever called me Counselor John. And I'm not talking about camp counselors, teenagers, all right? Just so you know, that would be the only other set. In what setting do we use the word counselor? In the court of law. That's exactly right. In a court of law. You call your lawyer, you don't, you call him your lawyer. But you know what the court calls him? Your counselor. He's your counselor. And what a beautiful picture of the advocate that we have with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is not only a counselor in that he's giving us advice and shepherding, he is our counselor in that he is 
making intercession for us, between us and the Father. So that when we do stupid things and break rule number one, teenagers, what we have is, you know, we do this stupid thing and the God of heaven is ready to let us feel the sting of our, pain, of our, of our bad decision. We have this advocate who steps in and says, Father, I've already paid for his sin. And like as a father pities his children. Wow. It's an incredible thought that we have a counselor that is twofold. He is guiding us and he is directing our lives in a great way. But beyond that, he is making intercession for us. What a wonderful thought. But not only is he wonderful, counselor, the next phrase is, now listen, Who's this talking about? For unto us a child is born. This is talking about the little infant in the, in the manger that we worship. He is mighty God. That title, that Hebrew title, mighty God, is used 235 times in the Bible. 235 times. It not only is mighty God, every time you see the word almighty God, or almighty, the almighty, that's the title that's being used. And that little baby in the manger, he's the almighty. He is not just, hear me out, he is not just a baby in a manger that's been endued with great power. He is almighty God in the manger. He is, in fact, the book of Colossians tells us that he is the creator. The Bible says in the book of Colossians, Jesus is the creator. Now, because Jesus is God, you understand. You say, well, I don't understand how that works. I thought he was the son. He is. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit all make one God. And if you're asking me to explain it, I can't. And you should say, amen, thank you, Lord. Because we don't want a God we can understand. His ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. David said, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Cannot. Not yet. It's cannot attain unto it. Period. He is mighty God. And as mighty God, in the context of his birth, it's this. He is the only one, first of all, able to even devise a plan whereby man might be redeemed. Think about this for a moment. This plan that we call the plan of salvation the way in which God would meet his righteousness, 100% sinless, perfect, holy, and still pay for our sin. How does that happen? How could it be that God would ever be able to allow a wicked, vile sinner like your pastor to enter into his presence? One of two things has to be true. Either my sinful, wicked condition 
taints God and makes him sinful and wicked as well. Or God has to somehow give me his righteousness. And that is what mighty God did in the form of a baby in the manger. When he gave his only begotten son and he became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Only mighty God could devise such a plan as to meet his righteousness and still pay for our sin debt. But not only is he mighty God in that he devised the plan, but he is mighty God in that as this baby born unto us, he fulfilled the plan. If you're here this morning, you've never trusted Jesus Christ, your Savior. Can I point out to you that we do not celebrate Christmas so that pennies and Meyer can get rich? Now, they do, but that's not why we celebrate Christmas. We don't even celebrate Christmas so you can get stuff and eat cookies. We do, but that's not why we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate Christmas because there is a mighty God who devised a plan and then carried that plan out in the birth of his son. And it is such a wonderful event that the world stops. The unsaved, wicked world who spit on his name day in and day out will stop and pay homage to the wonder of the holiday. Wow. Because mighty God devised the plan and carried it out in the form of this baby born unto us. And then he goes on to say, not only is he wonderful counselor, the mighty God, he is the everlasting father. And that carries with it all of the things that it is. But the New Testament uses this word, which would be a similar word to this, to this Old Testament Hebrew word. And it is Abba. He is our Abba, or our, it's, it's more than just that he is a person of authority. Sometimes that word father is used to show authority, but that's already been established. He's wonderful, he's counselor, he's mighty God. His authority's been established. The everlasting father is the relational side of this equation. That not only is he all of these things, but the God who we cannot comprehend and the God who has nothing about us hidden from himself. He knows everything. He knows every thought you have ever thought and every wicked thing you've ever said or done. He, there's nothing he does not know about us. And yet, he is Father, Abba. And he adds this word to it everlasting father once in relationship to the god of heaven always in relationship to the god of heaven it is much like your own children that there there is a blood relationship that cannot be severed but it's also much like my children in adoption and do you know the Bible uses both of these to describe our relationship to the Heavenly Father? Through Christ, we become blood relation. We are the sons of God. 
And through Christ, we are adopted. And there's a reason why there's two sides to that coin. You do realize that one of them is just that. It's blood. But the other one is contractual or it is legal. It's adoption. And let me give you, for instance, in the state of Indiana, adoption actually carries more weight than blood birth. You, as a parent of a blood-born child, you can disown that child and say, I write them out of my will, I'm done, I'm not going to take care of them. But contractually, in the state of Indiana, I don't know how it is everywhere else, and I didn't adopt kids anyplace else. But in the state of Indiana, when you sign on the dotted line, that contract says you may not ever relinquish the responsibility of parent. Ever. There is no emancipation in adoption. Do you understand how this works? And so God did both for us. He made us blood-born. He must be born again. And then he adopted us so that legally everything is taken care of. And there's no out. He is the everlasting father. And then he ends this whole statement with not only is he wonderful, counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, he is the prince of peace. And prince has with it that concept of the ruler of peace. Peace belongs to him. Do you understand the idea? He is the ruler of peace. And through Jesus Christ, through this baby born, we have two kinds of peace made available to us, both of which you need. One is the peace of God that passes understanding. It is that thing which enables someone who is facing cancer, who enables someone who is facing difficulty, who en- that enables someone who, who life is just keep, keeps beating them up, to have a calmness, a peace that passes understanding. It's the peace of God. But not only that, in Romans chapter 8, we're told that we have peace with God. You see, because without Christ, we are, the Bible says, enemies of God. He is righteous. We are wicked. He is holy. We are sinful. We are the enemies of God without Christ. But in Christ, we have peace with God. So that without Christ, we're battling back and forth. God is against us. But with Christ, God is for us. Because we have peace with God. We no longer owe God. See, prior to Christ, we owe God a debt. And that debt is an eternity. Separated from God in a place called hell. But in Christ, our debt is paid. And now, you remember what it's like to face somebody who you owe money to? Or maybe it's like you not face somebody you owe money to. You kind of always avoid them, right? Oh, look, they come in the room. You slip over to the other side of the room and hope they don't never make eye contact. That's, that's us apart from Christ. We owe a debt we cannot pay. But in Christ, that debt is paid. And the burden is lifted. And there's no longer a debt. And wow, now we have peace with God. And the peace of God. 
and the ruler of peace, the prince of peace, was born to us. The wonderful was born to us. The counselor was born to us. The mighty God was born to us. The everlasting father. And we celebrate all that that means for us. Folks, that is why it is called the gospel. It's good news. And that is why this time of year, we put those things out there. Uh, you can pass these things out because people need to hear the wonderful story of Jesus Christ. Heads bowed, eyes closed.